Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The temperature is nice and warm in the Boiling Point podcast studio, so come on in, get cozy, and let's enjoy the conversation. We empower leaders through thoughtful discussions to positively impact our world. Our host, Dave Vale, founder and CEO of Vision Coaching, Inc., is highlighting how we can thrive in business communities. Our conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, and inspirational storytellers are shining a spotlight on empowerment. Joining Dave this week is our special guest host, Emily Roger. Let's join the conversation with Dave and Emily. Okay, it's official. We're here. Uh, Emily, um, good to see you again. Hey, Dave. You too. And you um, did something pretty remarkable this last weekend, which is you you didn't run just a marathon. You ran an ultra marathon. I did. Yeah. And, And... and I think I've shared with you, I ran one marathon and uh, said, I got that on my bucket list. I can't, I couldn't imagine running more than, I don't think I could have run 26 point, what, three? Is that, is it 26.2 is a, a marathon? Is that right? Yeah, I ran there. Yep. When I got, like, I, there was no, I was done. Like, so to, to then just think you're halfway through at that point of an ultra marathon, I just can't even imagine. So, and I did see the video of you um, ending and um, it must have been on LinkedIn, I guess. Yeah. Probably a whole bunch of platforms, but I saw it on LinkedIn. And what I what I was struck by, Emily, was um, you looked like just you're smiling. Like you didn't like, like I would, like I, you know, I kind of expected you to be collapsing across the line, but you weren't. So what was that experience like? Like what, because you've been injured. You've been, um, uh, you know, supporting others through their ultra marathons. And then you did it. And then you, and it was interesting. You also put a post out prior to and something you don't usually do. Mm, yeah. In, in stating in, in telling people that I was going to attempt it and recognizing how so often myself and probably others wait until we have accomplished something in order to then share it. And just what that was about, was that a fear of me not being able to do it or me not being able to, yeah, battling injury, not even knowing I could have gotten 5k in and, uh, and had to pull out. But um, yeah, it was the most rewarding and, ex- and just fulfilling day I've had in a really long time of running 80 kilometers. It was about 4000 meters of elevation in the woods. And um, yeah, most of that just by myself and, and feeling so good. And it's the first time I've pinned on a race number in over three years, as you know, and uh, it just sparked this thing again, this passion again, uh, inside of me for doing events like that, because it's in those moments that like, I think that you really get to tap into what your strengths are. And, um, and just knowing that, like, there's going to be highs and lows along the way, and you don't know when they're going to come. And um, just staying present and kind of breaking up that full 14 hour race into just little chapters. And 
between kilometers zero and 45, I felt amazing. Like to the point that I'm like, something is not right. <laughs> like like it, it should not feel this good. It felt so good. It just felt effortless. And then 45 to 55, I was like, oh, my hips are getting tight. My body's hurting a little bit. You can feel some blisters. Energy was still phenomenal. 55 to 65, I'm like, yeah, okay, more pain. This is getting tough. I know my feet are blistered. And then at the kilometer 68, I had to stop at the medic tent and get my feet bandaged. And it was almost just kind of seeing, like visually seeing of like, oh, wow, like I am in rough shape. And it was almost like something switched in my brain that went from like feeling capable to then physically seeing injuries and thinking like, oh, no, I can't do this. And um yeah, and, and I, I did it. I pushed through that last 12 kilometers was so hard, so painful. But still, it's like, it was the coolest day. It was so pretty. It was in Bromont, Quebec. The colors were phenomenal. Like everything about that race venue was amazing. Um, my coach was there and just mm -hmm. like, yeah, being able to cross that finish line. And it's just like, yeah, I did it. Like that entire race, I think that it's like, it wasn't the finish line that was a celebration. It was even just getting to that start line. And that whole race is a right. celebration of nine months of training yeah. and not knowing what the outcome is going to be. But yeah, the outcome was making it across the finish line. So Incredible. it was pretty awesome. I well, congratulations. And I love how you describe, you know, it in chapters and the highs and the lows. And it almost like it mirrors life, doesn't it? Like you're- Big time. Is, is way, the way you're describing, I'm like, that's life, you know, like that's, yeah. you know, but in a shorter version, clearly. Yeah. But. Yeah. And it's like, you know, thinking of like, oh, I'm, I'm because that was my first one and I haven't done that before yet. Yeah. Thinking it of is my entire life has been an ultra marathon and I still feel like I'm running it. Like even this week, I'm like, okay, now I'm on lap two. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We we're, were talking beforehand about, you know, life and and, and, you know, all the ups and downs and the highs and lows. And yeah, so I just love how you described it, you know, the, the ultra marathon um, kind of emulator mirroring life. Um, what, um, before we're going to bring our guest in here in a second, um, but I want to ask you one more question. So tell me about um, like, you know, now having completed um, and being successful, not, not that that would, should make any difference, but how do you feel about, you know, that post ahead of time? Like, how are you feeling about it now? Um, you know, sending that, you know, letting people know and, and really, I guess, changing things up for yourself, right? Where you typically would do it post, you did it free. Yeah. Um, but how do you like, what's the thinking now about that decision? Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, almost like a way of me accepting for myself that it's okay if it doesn't happen or not. And it's like almost that expectation that I put on myself that maybe is not even so much of put on that I feel it's put on from other people, but the expectation that's, yeah, that's putting it on myself and even putting it out there again, that I'm racing another one in less than five weeks mm -hmm. and um, not knowing what that's going to be like, it could be a totally different outcome from what this one is, but it's just a matter of like, just keep putting ourselves out there and we're not going to achieve. We're never going to cross the finish line if we don't make it to the start. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. And why, why make it a secret, right? Yeah. You know, um, uh, it's so just, and um, I had talked, and I mean, I'm talking about this one marathon, like, but just it was a, it was a big event for me because I, I, it was something I thought about for years. I did all these half marathons. I finally did it. 
But interestingly, what I did was I, the way, the only way I got through it, and for me, it was, it was nothing like you've experienced, but it was, it was a challenge in itself. You know, like for me, it was a big challenge because I didn't realize how, how much harder it was. I didn't realize how much more you should train than, you know, then I, when I hit the wall kind of at mile 22, but what, what encouraged, what really put me, put me through it was the fact that I put it out in a newsletter six months before I said, mm. I've been talking about this forever. And I asked clients to make commitments and declarations. And I realized I've been hiding from this and I I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to do this. And it was because I did that, that actually I followed through on it. So it was yeah. interesting because it, it wasn't something I was going to do post because I probably would have, I wouldn't have done it because it just was, I found it so excruciating. So, so having, so I want to bring our guest in and, and, you know, it's interesting we're talking about running because I was, I was driving last night. I was driving my son to a hockey game and this, um, this guy comes running up um, almost, and my son was driving. He's just learning to drive. And I said, oh, be careful. Don't, you don't want to hit, that's Mark Legere. He's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. I don't want you to hit him. And he was running up uh, along the Cases River, Mark. And uh, I've seen you running out in the valley a few times. I think you're dropping kids off at sporting events. You're a big runner. Um, welcome to the bowling point. I know you've, you know, we've talked about having you on here for years. Uh, we were finally able to get your agent to agree to it. So we want to welcome you, <laughs> Mark Legere. Thank welcome, you. Hi, Hi, nice to meet you. And I, I got to say, Emily, I'm, I'm a fan. Um, I, Dave, there's a, a uh, I think it's best to describe it as a social media app for like runners and bikers and swimmers, triathletes called Strava. I'm not sure if you're on it or you've been on it before, but I'm on it and I follow Emily. Oh, so I, no way. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the app called for people that are interested? It's called Strava. And it's, it's, it's great. It's like, picture it, it's like, yeah, the best way to describe it is like, it's like social media for for triathletes and runners and, and bikers where you, you know, you record all your runs and, and, uh, and share pictures and you can like in the same way that you'd like on Twitter or Instagram. And, uh, so I've followed Emily now. I'm not sure for how long Emily, but a year. So I was stunned by the ADK race. Uh, cause Dave, when you saw me, I think it was last night, was it? Yeah, it was last night. <laughs> Yeah, I was on a mere a mere sixteen k run, Emily. Not eighty. Sixteen k is still a big run, and it's you know I actually um I didn't even know what ultra marathons were until about a year ago, and um a friend of mine who I know through the fly fishing community had done one, and I thought, well, that looks really cool. And I used to run a lot when I was racing triathlon, but nothing on trail. And then my athletic career shifted to cycling. So after seeing this person's post. I went out and did a trail run and I got 4k in and I was like, Oh yeah, no, I'm done. And I'm like, I think, I, I don't think I'm going to be cut out for an ultra, but that was like, yeah, now nine months ago. So it's yeah. uh yeah, but 16k oh, yeah. is still a hard that. run. But isn't that amazing about social media, how people can have a sense of each other and have not met. And um, you know, like I know people have followed you in fly fishing, Emily. And then, and then for you, Mark, you're uh yeah, let's I want to talk a little bit about your your role right now with Huddle, and um, you know I, I I love getting and I you know you don't do them I think you're doing them less frequently but you get these great messages you said on Saturdays, um, um, you know kind of a bit of a an editorial almost, 
And, uh, and but let, let our audience know about, you know, who you are uh, outside of being the 16K runner. And I know you've done <laughs> marathons as well. Um, but, but, you know, what you, what you do and as, you know, how you make your money and, and, you know, what your passion is. For sure. Yeah. No. And, and Dave, I think we need to get inspired too. So I've actually run 12 marathons and <laughs> when I see, but when I see 80, Emily, it's like, I just got to get to the start line. That's what I'm going to keep saying to myself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do that. Maybe. Yeah. I knew you'd done it. That's amazing. That's impressive. Wow. So, um, so yeah, tell, tell listeners uh, a little bit about you. Yeah, so um, uh, right now I'm the uh, Director of News Content for uh, Acadia Broadcasting and uh, also for Huddle. And I've been with Huddle itself since around early 2017. And uh, Huddle was subsequently acquired by Acadia Broadcasting, which has radio stations from, gosh, Northern Ontario to Nova Scotia, including St. John and Moncton. And so that's my current role. It's still, Dave, like uh, a big passion is still huddle as you know and and business uh, development in the maritime so that one's still very close to my heart so huddle for people who don't know it is is a, a maritime uh, publication just about business news uh in in the maritimes it's it started in new brunswick in 2015 and uh in the beginning of the pandemic we launched in nova scotia in in halifax uh, it's, uh, it turned out to be, you know, we didn't know at the time we actually launched it in Halifax pre pre pandemic and then the pandemic hit. And, uh, obviously that's difficult as everybody would, I'm sure you've had these discussions about the pandemic and its impact on business and, and entrepreneurs. It, it was, uh, it was both a difficult thing and a good thing for us because people were so hungry for, for news, business and otherwise in the pandemic and so much news during the pandemic centered around business and the economy and, and trying to keep it going. And then, you know, restarting it coming out of the pandemic that we were actually able to grow readership in, in Halifax uh, fairly quickly as a result. Um, but yeah, so we, it's a, it's a basically a daily business news magazine for the Maritimes online. And then we also do with Dave referred to a Saturday a newsletter column called the Saturday huddle. And it, it started with me, Kind of sharing sharing my uh, reflections on business news every Saturday, and it's grown into uh, including uh, other reporters on the team because uh, my take day was people just got tired of my voice. You know, I had to bring in new ones too. <laughs> not, not that I enjoy, don't enjoy the other ones, but I really enjoyed your Saturday thoughts, uh, and probably because I know you, it, it, it helps. But um, I just I, I just found them really I, I find them very interesting and and uh, just a nice way to to get your, your weekend going on a Saturday. Um, so, and for, for people that aren't from Atlantic Canada, we're talking about Atlantic Canada, we're talking about the Maritimes and we're talking about Eastern, Eastern Canada, some of the provinces in, in, uh, yeah. in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. But I, I think what Huddle does would be relevant really anywhere, wouldn't it? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, and we cover New Brunswick and Nova Scotia with obviously, you know, at, you know, wider ambitions of being in Atlantic Canada and then maybe beyond that. Um, we do do a podcast that's Atlantic wide. That's called Insights. It's hosted by uh, David Campbell, an economist, and uh, Don Mills, who used to run um, ran a long term uh, a polling firm out of Halifax, and they they actually do. And theirs is Atlantic wide. Um, but no, absolutely, Dave, because we cover basically what Huddle tries to do is cover uh, business at kind of the main street level. Um, it's not report on business. It's not your traditional business section in a, in a newspaper. 
uh, we try to tell the stories of entrepreneurs at, at street level. Uh, and that could be a tech firm. It could be a restaurant owner. It could be a coffee shop. It could be somebody, uh, you know, constructing a new, you know, apartment building development downtown that everybody's keeping their eye on. Um, and it's best, it's meant to spotlight growth in, you know, in all of its forms um, in our communities. And when, you know, when Acadia uh, bought uh, Huddle, acquired Huddle, and I found out uh, all these radio stations from Northwestern Ontario to um, Nova Scotia were situated in mainly small communities and then cities like Thunder Bay, Ontario, right? Um, and, and Halifax, of course, uh, those people in those communities don't, uh, don't focus on, on business news and their daily news outlets, right? So we immediately, I was immediately thinking Huddle Thunder Bay, right? And I went to Thunder Bay and visited it. It's a beautiful city right on Lake Superior, but with all those kinds of same characteristics as there are in, in maritime communities, right? Like growing downtowns and, you know, struggles over, you know, developing labor force and growing companies. Uh, and people feel, a lot of people feel alienated by business news because they think of stock tables and report on business. Mm. And what we try to do is, as I said before, bring business to that street level. And you, you could do that in any community across the country or North America for that matter. Where did this interest start for you? Mark, of like, like, were you always interested in wanting to pursue sharing business news or were you put into that role? How did that all start? It's a really good question for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a storyteller and, and also, uh, Emily, I'm an entrepreneur by background. So, so to go back, uh, you know, 20 or so years in, in my career, which is actually where I first met Dave, uh, we, when I was in my early 30s, we started a newspaper in St. John called Here, and it was a weekly uh, alternative newspaper um, at the time. And I had been working for the Telegraph Journal, the Daily, and uh, I left to join a group of people to start my own paper. Uh, so I became very entrepreneurial for that. From that point, I've always thought my, of myself as um, a journalist, but a very entrepreneur, entrepreneurial-minded journalist. Uh, so, and that's been a bug that I've had for 20 or so years. And, and when we were building here, which we eventually expanded into Moncton before, before selling the paper, um, we did a lot of the kind of news that we do in Huddle now. Uh, we just gravitated towards covering growth and change in, in all of its forms, right? And that's cultural, it's, it's artistic, it's, it's about our lifestyles, but it, you can't escape business. It's about business. And and because business is really that face on the community on its, its values, um, what are its, uh, what's important to its economy. So, uh, you know, fast forward 20 years, um, I'd been with another startup just before Huddle called Civilized. And it was a, actually a cannabis culture publication that was kind of a hybrid uh, California St. John business. Um, I, uh, I joined Huddle from there and I, I was really excited. I was approached by Alan Gates, who was the entrepreneur who started it. And, uh, it, in a lot of ways, it was coming full circle to me because it, it really resembled a lot here in the paper I'd operated 20 years ago, because it was really just meant to be about, you know, street level growth and change. It's uh, I'm glad you, uh, great question, Emily, because I'm, I'm glad you brought it up here. Uh, I was actually, 
if I could find it, um, there I was. I, I graced the cover once, and the title was David and Goliath, and it was the story about a business I was uh, a partner in, and how we use this small business, how we use some of these bigger businesses to 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 get into other regions, and um, and and you know, and it was one. It was just it was it was really helpful because he, the Here magazine. Um, you know, for someone who's new to the region, it really supported giving me a bit of profile mm. locally. And uh, I, was, I was always very thankful for that, uh, Mark. And, and I, I, I miss that. I miss that publication. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, and, and that, that's a really good example, Dave, because we would have gravitated even back then to, you know, spotlighting entrepreneurs and new businesses. Um, and, you know, going back to your original question, I, I think we need more of that, like in, in all of our communities. Um, journalists, uh, they tend to, to shy away from, from business journalism because it's seen by a lot of journalists to be promotional, right? Um, I'm not going to say not real journalism, but it feels to them more like, like advertising. And so it tends to get buried in newspapers, um, to use an old-fashioned term because uh, I know most of us are digital and online now and doing podcasts. Um, but I never really felt that way. I always felt like there is a hunger for covering the work of entrepreneurs and, and business leaders. And um, it, one of the things I learned when I first took on Huddle was um, I'd never worked much with Google Analytics and, and sort of measuring you know, page views and users and trying to measure your audience. And I had this instinct with when I joined Huddle that if we, it was somewhat Main Street, but I turned it more Main Street when I got there. Um, uh, borrowing a friend's term, she, she actually called it Main Street journalism was what she's referred to it as. And the page growth was, was astonishing. Uh, once we started to really get into these communities and cover the growth of their small businesses, and, and it, you know, taught me something about how hungry communities are to, you know, it's not just the entrepreneurial class and business owners that care. Uh, it's everyday people are just watching for any signs of growth that gives them, you know, optimism about their communities. Mm. And going back to that original question, David, something that's universal. Yeah. Something we should do more of, quite honestly. Yeah, I really like that about the, yeah, the sharing that it does create optimism for other people. And, um, you know, I think even I recently read your article about uh, the local restaurant owner who's paying his employees more than minimum wage. And even I think sharing that story, sharing how he's not having a problem with uh, employee retention at a time where a lot of people are and, uh, and giving new ideas to people, new insights to people, new ways of possibly approaching a situation. And um, yeah, I think how that could be seen in some ways as like promoting a, a company. I kind of want to check out that restaurant now, but also, yeah, giving and giving ideas about how um, businesses can be, can be managed and how employees can be treated. Right. Yeah. And then when I was thinking about, you know, leadership and how we've kind of on kind of the pages of huddle kind of, you know, talked about that issue, explored that issue. That's a really great example, Emily, of like a main street business, a restaurant. It's a restaurant called Rocket Burger in Fredericton. And, um, you know, we're having these discussions on minimum wage and how high should it be and, 
And in a, in a story meeting, I, I just said to one of the reporters, can you, can you start finding us some businesses and they're already doing it? Mm. And the impact that it's having on those businesses. And uh, uh, the reporter uh, came back with that piece, uh, Jesse Saulnier, actually, she's a, an intern with Huddle. And what I found really inspiring about reading about that piece is we get a little bit nervous about, because wages are our cost of business, right? And it's, yeah. it's, it's been a discussion in our region about how, how do we, you know, raise wages and, and make uh, working conditions better for, for people. And what I loved about that particular story is it was all positive for him. He, he actually did it before the pandemic and, um, and it, he saw immediate results uh, with the uh, retention and, and employee satisfaction. And he actually went to a four day work week as well. Um, mm. And uh, in, in hospitality, it's like, it's tough business, right? It's like the, Profit margins are low and, and it's hard work and there's a lot of turnover and uh, and restaurants really struggled through the pandemic and hopefully they're, they're starting to come out of it. I think they are. But again, going to leadership and discussions of leadership, that owner just took it upon himself to, to make a decision to raise those wages and it, it paid off from a business point of view and from, and from uh, an employee satisfaction. So it was kind of a win-win. So those types of stories that we like to spotlight. Yeah. And the doing things differently. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it was, and I read that as well. And I, and I saw with tips and stuff, they're making, you know, over 20 bucks an hour. Right. Um, and it, so what I've really appreciated is, is while you're telling, you know, um, great story. I mean, so one is, uh, you know, with here and then now huddle, the entrepreneur in me really appreciates that the spotlight you put on, on, on the small businesses like my own and, and others, um, which is, you know, so helpful because, you know, I didn't know about Rocket Burger before. Now I do. And like Emily, I kind of want to source it out. And I, you know, who doesn't like a good burger, especially if, you know, when, when you, when you appreciate the values that, that are behind the, the restaurant. So from a leadership perspective, um, and I think you guys are leading as well, Mark, in, sh- in, in not um, shying away from controversy. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. And you spoke uh, or wrote, I should say, pretty openly about, you know, in the, and you got to remember, like, if we go back, like, I don't know how much, maybe 18 months ago, you know, we're right in the thick of this pandemic. And, and you had some, uh, one of the pieces I read, and I don't want to mis, misquote you, but I, it, was, it was just really questioning some of the logic behind how we were shutting things down and the vaccination mandates and all these kind of things. And I remember at the time thinking, wow, that's bold because um, there could, I don't know if there was, but there could be a big backlash because people were just, you know, chase, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was like kind of like a dogfight 
at that point because people were so polarized. And I would think of you as kind of a, a you know a liberally minded person, but you were you were you were willing to to take a stance and ask some questions, and in a way that I found very courageous, um, especially given the times. Yeah, and I think when I think back to that time too, and and for us, it's about creating conversations. Because um, obviously we're we're all we're all not experts. We're journalists. We're business leaders. But but we have a role in in the conversation. You know, as especially as it kind of impacts us and impacts our communities. And in particular, Dave, around that time, I remember uh, New Brunswick entrepreneurs uh, David Alston and uh, and Marcel LeBrun, um, you know, very well known uh, leaders here in New Brunswick, both as entrepreneurs but also as as social entrepreneurs. And uh, they, they had come to me with the idea of co-writing uh, a couple of pieces uh, on how to safely and intelligently reopen the economy. And uh, I ended up, ended up writing myself out of that. And so we gave uh, David and, and Marcel that, that platform and I ended up doing a, a podcast conversation with them. And uh, at the time, when I look back, it was quite provocative because they were trying to like chart a course for reopening when everybody in the province was still feeling very nervous and very upset uh, about the pandemic and trying to cope with it. So talking about reopening so soon challenged a lot of people. Uh, they were very thoughtful pieces that, that those guys wrote. And they're actually still to this day are the most popular stories uh, all time for Huddle that David wow. and Marcel uh, wrote. And uh, for me, to your to your point, David, what what it said to me um, was that people just they just want to have the conversation, they want to have the debate, right? We do, and and they want to be challenged, and uh, and those were two great examples of that. Because with us, uh, and we have this conversation at Huddle all the time. Our tagline is is business is good, and um, I kind of like play with that and call it business does good too often. Um, and because uh, I, I think a lot about the role that, that media and business have in making our community stronger. Uh, but there could, there's often a misunderstanding. Every once in a while, we'll have articles that challenge people or critique, you know, uh, policies or things that businesses are doing. And uh, people say, well, aren't you business is good? And, and we are. Uh, but we're also business does good. And, mm. and we, we all need to challenge ourselves, uh, you know, as leaders in the community and that's business and political uh, to do better. And, and so that's kind of where I see the place uh, for debates like that. And we also, another recent example is um, we had, uh, we had a series of uh, stories and, and columns on, um, on inflation and grocery store prices. And uh, one of our uh, journalists wrote quite a biting column about some comments that the, uh, that the head of SOWIS had made about, you know, leave us alone, we're doing our best, inflation isn't our fault. And yet we have people going into grocery stores paying very high prices and we have grocery companies that are making big profits, right? And uh, anyway, the, the reporter ended up doing a nice column that was quite pointed and quite sharp. Uh, and it was one of the Saturday pieces, David. And, uh, but um, he turned it a little bit on its head because he kind of promoted the idea of shopping local. Mm -hmm. meaning shopping small right mm -hmm. so we have their large grocery stores the Solby's the superstores um, but we also have your small corner grocer uh, that, that a lot of us go to and, uh, and, and we try to promote so 
Yeah. So anyway, just that's a long, long way to answer, Dave. But I think uh, it's it's all about just exploring the issues and promoting the companies that that's important. And and not being not being shy of asking tough questions, right? Which is your journalism, and that's important because it's otherwise, you know, it's seen as maybe little puff pieces, right? So I, for me personally, I, I appreciate that. And even if I'm not sure what I think about it, it's nice to hear it coming from, you know, someone who's thought, thought through it. And I did read that Saturday piece from, uh, I think it's your, your, uh, your, one of your reporters out of uh, Halifax, I believe. Yeah, it was Derek, Derek Montague from, from, uh, from Halifax. And, yeah. and we should. You know, he's a good old Newfoundland storyteller and he's not shy with his opinions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you need. Yeah. Um, so, so I, so I, I'm just gonna, I know Emily's probably got a, a couple of great questions, okay. um, but I wanted to ask about, like you, you mentioned the podcast and, and what I, what I've also been really uh, intrigued by is, you know, you, you and your colleagues, if I think of David Campbell and Don get uh, to interview some really high profile folks from our region. Um, and you've accessed that. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, like, you know, and it, this could be a high profile person or it could be, you know, a small, you know, a, a corner shop. But like, what do you, who's really inspiring you these days in terms of how they're showing up, you know, a, a leader from Atlanta, Canada? Uh, well, I think for me, and this is why I love, I love the podcast format um, because it allows me and it allows David and, and Don in particular to have, conversations with with leaders in the region um and i always look for and i know don and david do too uh you know they they recently did a series of interviews on companies in the region that are uh, working on you know net zero businesses right like developing you know hydrogen fuel and tidal power and and wind farms. Um, so really digging in and seeing who who are the progressive companies that are really pushing things pushing things forward on that in that regard in, in the region. And it's a region that's traditionally reliant on traditional industries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll they'll they explore conversations with CEOs from those companies, uh, and they've also had conversations that very rare conversations with people like like Jim Irving from JD Irving Limited. It very rarely gives interviews, uh, let alone hour-long ones. And they've had, and those are very inspiring chats because we're used to just hearing those guys in, in short news clips, right? And it's usually around controversial stories. Mm-hmm. Just so to hear those long-form explorations of how they're dealing with labor force challenges and and you know building building companies in high inflation environments um, are just really really inspiring. Um, from my point of view. I look, I look for the conversations that have that intersection between entrepreneurship and the social. I, I tend to gravitate to them. Um, so like in the spring, uh, I interviewed uh, Debbie uh, Rathwell in, in St. John, who uh, as part of her, her consultancy and her business does event planning. And she kind of lent that expertise to building um, something that actually exists in communities across the country. It's 100, 100 Women Who Care. St. John, but there are, there are 100 women who care. Halifax, um, they exist around around North America, and there are also 100, 100 men who care um, organizations, one of which I was part of in St. John. So I had a long-form conversation with her about her inspirations as an entrepreneur and what led her to start that organization where like, they've, they've raised nearly a million dollars in St. John for, 
for community organizations. Um, and I know Dave, you've been involved in, in, in similar organizations and efforts yourself. Um, I did a long podcast interview with Marcel Lebrun, former Radiant Six uh, entrepreneur who you know helped build a tech company that sold for half a billion dollars in, in, in the region. And he turned his attention to social entrepreneurship and has started a tiny time home project in Fredericton, helping marginalized people uh, have safe uh, roofs over their head, like you know, dry roofs. Dry roofs, sorry, Dave. <laughs> I started to ramble there. Um, and the whole, the whole point being is that you're housing people who are marginalized and homeless and then helping them uh, rebuild their lives, whether it's through work or addressing addictions. But here we're talking about somebody like Marcel Lebrun, who's created one of the most successful companies in, in, the mar in maritime history, uh, turning his attention towards social entrepreneurship. Um, so those, those are the kinds of stories, Emily and, and Dave, that kind of inspire me. And I seek those interviews uh, because I, I like to be inspired by those people and I like to share their stories. Yeah, we're actually having uh, Marcel on the podcast next. Very good choice. I hope he just not right after me. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, I don't want him to be before me. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, a funny story. There, it was, uh, I was uh, asked to speak after a very high-profile speaker, and I remember feeling very nervous about it. And um, and it was I was it was Robin Sharma, and I was I was surprised that I was asked and. And uh, the whole, you know, it was 500 people showing up. And I remember phoning yeah. my father and saying, dad, like, oh my gosh, how do I get myself in this? How do I get myself out of this? You know, like this is, he said, well, it'll be, just don't speak after him. And then of course they <laughs> see the agenda, Robin Sharma, you know, leader without a title, best-selling author, da da da, da. And right behind Dave Vail, <laughs> coach. And I was just like, oh my God. So, um, so I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I'm sure, I'm certain that won't, yeah. that won't be an issue. Um, and then from an economy point of view, and I know a lot of this is really obvious, like some, some of these figures are, are you know, obviously um, people we know of and then others that are well known. Like I find people like um, Frank McKenna incredibly inspiring, somebody who hasn't been premier of New Brunswick for 25 years, but still like gives a great deal of attention to how to grow the maritime economy from, you know, where he sits at the TD Bank and uh, I was at an event in May. He convenes, uh, gosh, it had to be 150 really high-profile New Brunswick entrepreneurs. And, it, you know, it's, the conversations were all around how to build digital economy. And I just, I find people like that that, you know, stay engaged and, and keep working and leverage their networks and their connections and their ability to convene people. Uh, and Frank would be just one example. Um, really inspiring as well. So it's, it's all about for me, the social entrepreneurship, but also just, you know, building, building businesses that help people earn a living and, and create wealth and create opportunity. And um, the other big one too is, and I mentioned it with Dave is I really uh, with Dave Campbell and, uh, and Don Mills is I'm really intrigued by the, the companies in the region that are environmentally minded and knowing we need to get to net zero, what are, the businesses that we can scale uh, and the small businesses that will get us there. Right? Mm. <clears throat> so I find that inspiring too. 
Yeah. And, you know, hearing you speak of the, like the businesses do good or how you change it to the businesses does good. And that behind every business is a person and is a leader and speaking about those qualities in each people that then helps to create the business. Um, and whether that is a social enterprise business or whatever kind that is. And yeah, even hearing your reference to Frank McKenna and what he is doing as a person outside of no longer being the premier that is impacting the community. And so when you think of some of those, um, you know, those qualities or skill sets that you would see in these leaders, what are some of like the highest qualities that kind of stand out to you that you would like to see other businesses, other leaders draw more from? Um, I think uh, one of the most important ones for me is, is being open really being open to, to change. Uh, I, I think of work, you know, workplaces and, and leaders that have operated in, in a traditional setting, you know, a nine to five work environment that suddenly need to accommodate people um, who have different needs, right? They may might need to work from, from home because they have young kids, right? They might need more flexibility. And so for me, it's leaders showing the, the ability to, to change and to be open to what their people need, mm. people that, that work for them. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, I think of my own example too, cause I huddle, uh, we just kind of started as kind of a, it, it really, we, we really were an organic kind of growth oriented business where, uh, you know, employees got to, you know, sort of chart their own paths, right? We could, we could work from home. We could work from a cafe. We could work from the office. We could work at midnight. We could work at six in the morning. It was really about getting the work done. And uh, that was the most important thing. And so uh, the, the founders of the company were very flexible about allowing, allowing us to, to, to figure out what was right for us. And, and then I, I, I joined Acadia and, and Acadia acquired Huddle. And one of the first things a senior executive said to me was, you don't have to conform to the way we work because, you know, Katie was still very, it's, it's an evolving company, but it's still very traditional in a lot of ways. And, and it is an office environment where people, you know, for the most part come into come into the office. So obviously that's changed over the last two years and, and the company's evolving, but that was a big statement to me that they just said, don't, don't change anything. If you're, if you're happy working from home, don't worry if you're not in the office at 8:30 AM. And I think so. And to me, that's leadership, right? Mm. That's recognizing. And I know for for a lot of uh, companies, it's a mix of pragmatism and uh, and and values. There's there's both, right? Companies are learning that you need to respond to employee needs uh, and be flexible. Um, you know, another example of leadership is um, to you know embrace uh, to embrace. Change in, in, in the Maritimes has meant uh, changing a lot of traditional attitudes on immigration and, and people coming into New Brunswick and into Atlantic Canada contribute great things to our communities, contribute great things to our workplaces. Um, but having, you know, you know, leaders uh, stand up and, and share those values and live those values, I think is really important in companies. And I think of one interview that, uh, that David Campbell and, and, um, Don Mills did with Jim Irvin and, and they pressed, they pressed him a lot on, cause here you have this like huge uh, New Brunswick company that 
is going to be losing people to retirement. It's, you know, people are moving on to other jobs. There's a constant regeneration, you know, thousands, thousands of employees that work in those various companies. And they've adopted very progressive attitudes towards um, immigration and, and finding a place for, for uh, you know, new Canadians in, in their workplace. And he spoke about it in a way that he, he believed it and he was living those values, right? Not, I need... You know, I need, I need, you know, people in my mills, I need people in my businesses. It's like they need to become part of the communities. And in New Brunswick, the mills are in very small towns and they have a head office in St. John. Um, and uh, it was the same thing. Um, uh, we interviewed, uh, David and Don interviewed, um, I think I'm going to get his name right, John, John Bragg from Oxford, uh, the blueberry, uh, the, the conglomerate that ships blueberries around the world, you know, billion dollar companies and even in small towns like that right they've had to change the way they do things to to meet those workforce needs and 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 respond to people's changing needs and so even in small companies like that you're finding in some cases billionaires that are you know 70 plus right years yeah. old willing to change yeah uh, and see things and i'm not saying that they weren't progressive before but really showing it in terms of how they're shaping the future of their companies I know that's a long-winded answer, Emily, but that those are kinds of the signs of leadership that I look for. And anywhere from J.D. Irving to the guy running a burger shop in Fredericton, it's all the same to me. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it really is, Mark. And I can say that because I've known you for years. Is that you? You know, you don't discriminate that way at all. You you show it. Uh, I, one of the things I really admire about you is you show an equal interest in in whoever the that you know, entrepreneur that leader is, you know, and that's a, that's a really, that's a great trait because, and, and Huddle's an example of it. Like it's sprinkled with all sorts of folks from, and, and I, I find that personally, I, I really enjoy um, hearing a variety of voices. Cause sometimes like I think of traditional media would typically hear from one, I mean, and actually you, you were kind enough to edit a few of my columns back in the day when I was doing Leadership Unleashed. And that was part of my goal was, because I, I was meeting people and I was like, wow, like, that's amazing. You live in Rishabhaktu and you're doing this? Like, and, and how come I haven't heard of you? You know, I was like shocked because this is a small, there's only 750 or 800,000 people that live in this province, but how could someone just an hour away be doing something, you know, this amazing, having this incredible business that I have heard nothing about, right? And then I'll ask someone in the next town and they, they haven't heard of them either. And I thought, you know, that was just my way of just learning, uh, to be honest with you and kind of getting the landscape. But I think, you know, how I've done it to such a, a much bigger kind of extent and it's 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 remarkable um to talk about you know people that are billionaires but also the people that are getting their business off the ground you know so and dave that's a really good example too because you i mean it, that particular column that you're referring to that you did like that really livened up those telegraph pages right because you were giving spotlight to, to entrepreneurs and 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 having really thoughtful interesting conversations with them uh and now it's in podcast form right and and uh, it's a whole different world. I, I really enjoy the podcast because I find it's, it's, it's one of the places where I'm listening to the more thoughtful conversations. I'm still a big reader, but, but, I, but I learn a lot through these kinds of conversations that people have. Yeah. Well, and g given that we're, we're kind of at the end here, unfortunately, I want to, I, I think we can go longer. Um, and uh, Sorry, <laughs> oh, this is great. This is great. But for people like, um, uh, and, and we will do some takeaways, I think, right, Emily? Yeah. Yeah. But before we do that, um, just 
people that want to reach out to you, Mark, you are, your heart, you're, you got, you got, I think, I feel like you have a really, like your inbox is pretty full. So it's probably, you know, so if people are patient, they'll hear back from you. I, I'm confident. Um, but you got, you know, but if people did want to touch base with you or want to learn more about you, where do they, where do they do that, Mark? Well, you can, people can reach me through Huddle, through my email address, uh, which is uh, Legier, L-E-G-E-R, dot Mark, M-A-R-K, at Huddle.today. And so that's the best way to reach me. Um, and you can all, people can always find me too on, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, somewhat active on Twitter, uh, also Instagram. Um, but LinkedIn is probably another uh, great place to reach me. Okay. And, and on Strava. Strava too. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was thinking. <laughs> Mark's going to run an, uh, an ultra marathon now. I can see it. I can oh, I have to. Man. Like, you too. Yeah. We're committing ourselves to this. Um, you, you and I both will do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be in the golf cart beside you, encourage you to, to, isn't that what they do when they support? Sure, that's, sure. <laughs> maybe not, maybe it's running alongside. Um, so, yeah, takeaways, what are, you, what are you taking away from this conversation, Amir? I think, uh, you know, the one, the one that really stands out the most to me is around the being open to change. And I think that that is one thing that the pandemic has, uh, you know, just kind of put in our faces that we can't ignore is it change is the only constant. And um, whether that's in leadership, whether that's, yeah, professionally, personally, change is always happening, and it's always inevitable. And it's like, you know, we kind of spoke earlier about the ultra and the breaking it up into chapters and each chapter is a different story. Each chapter is change. And that's the way that we're kind of navigating in life. And uh, yeah, this was really um, encouraging speaking to you, Mark, and in and, and, and hearing, uh, you know, your interest in sharing stories to create, I think, a better community and a better leader and or leaders. Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you get up to on Strava and uh, seeing you maybe even on the trails. Speaking of being open to change. <laughs> um, uh, yes. I, I, well, I'll tell you, I, I see Mark on the roads all the time. I'm driving, he's running, but that's uh, maybe that'll change for me. Um, you know, a takeaway for me is I really like, um, and you've always done this, but you know how your stories and huddle stories and podcasts really humanize people, right? Like you mentioned Jim Irving as an example. And I think sometimes when you're a small region, people have an ability to talk about someone as if they're not a real person right? Um, because they may be, you know, be seen as very powerful and have, and which, which in, the, in this case he is, and others, or Frank McKenna, whoever, but to humanize them and to, to, to that they have enough trust in, in, in you and your colleagues to actually have a, a long-form conversation. And, uh, and I appreciate you doing that with us today, Mark. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been great. And it's amazing how quickly uh, an hour flies by. I, what I would encourage Emily when you're in St. John or, or, or Mark when you're in Fredericton definitely go for a coffee together but what Emily what you'll find is like every time I'll, I'll sit down with Mark for a coffee and it's been a while since we've done this but they, it generally turns like I, I'm like in my head it's gonna be an hour and then I'm looking at my and I'm like geez it's been an hour and 20 minutes and I still got there's still more I want to talk about so you get that <laughs> quality about him or you just you just want to you know talk more kind of like we're doing today but thank you so much, Mark, for coming on the on the podcast finally, and uh, um, keep up the great work, man. Yeah, no, thank you, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, I admire the work you're doing, and and these conversations that you're having with people are such a gift, right? 
because they you mentioned Jim Irving that it's with with all of with all of our, our leaders being able to sit people down and actually have that conversation that does uh, like the way you say humanize them um, because you don't get that in just uh, daily news coverage of issues right it really yeah. takes the kind of conversations that Emily you and you and Dave have and and the ones we have at Huddle to really give people the opportunity to 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 share their thoughts and share how they feel about how the economy and our communities are evolving. So thank you for, for doing this. Awesome. Well, um, John Viem's John Viem's going to give us the outtake, right, John Viem? Or unless Emily wants to do it. John Viem has that dialed. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> you and I both don't want to do that. <laughs> My outtake might take another 20 minutes. <laughs> We do also have to say a big thank you to Mark and Huddle because they have in the past shared Boiling Point um, conversations. Um, So we appreciate that so that more people can hear these conversations. And if you'd like to find our conversations, they are on BoilingPointPodcast.com. We also are active on social media across LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And we post the video versions on YouTube and Facebook. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Mark. We'll chat soon. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Boiling Point Podcast. Remember to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite listening platform. To find out more, head to our website at boilingpointpodcast.com. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. To find out more about Dave Vale's work, head over to visioncoachinginc.com. Thanks for listening and make sure to check out our next conversation. Hey listeners, I'm Christy and I'm Melissa and this is Buried Motives where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>